0: Well, praise the Lord, let's open up our Bibles tonight and let's go to Proverbs chapter 31. And we are going to look at the one thing that destroys kings. We have it listed in Proverbs 31. I'll begin reading with verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. So we're going to take the time to look this evening at the evils of strong drink. So if you'll be so kind to turn your cell phones to vibrate or silent, we'll get right into this lesson right now. Come on, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful to have this opportunity to look into the scriptures, speak to all of our hearts as we expound these passages. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Okay, one thing that destroys kings, or another title, is the evil of strong drinks. I think the number of closet alcoholic ministers grows every day. You probably would be surprised by the number of them that behind closed doors imbibe liquor, not just occasionally, but regularly. And like many of their congregants, they exhibit an inability to deal with the stress and the stress of life, I should say, and this has led to calamity. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm, I, I don't drink at all. I don't bother with any of that stuff, but I, I've been around enough congregations to know if I pastor certain people, I, I probably want to drink also, but that, that's not biblical. It's still not the, the scriptural way. God offers us some advice here in Proverbs 31. Now, there was a time historically when the drinking of liquor was primarily restricted to, say, Lutheran pastors or Presbyterian pastors and Roman Catholic priests and Greek Orthodox priests. Methodist people there there was a time you just did not find Pentecostal preachers or full gospel preachers involved with this kind of behavior at all, but folks, I'm telling you this thing is spreading like wildfire all across the nation, and I am surprised by the number of socially drinking preachers there are. All across this nation, they want to be a good old boy or they want to be a good old girl and they just want to get along with the congregation and fit in. But I can tell you right now, the number one way to lose the respect of your congregants as a preacher is to sit around and throw a few back with them and drink and drink liquor, and then turn around and expect that they're going to respect you. It's just not going to happen. So let's listen to the advice of a mother to her son. Proverbs 31, you'll notice she says to him, she says there in verse, uh, verse number 1 that this is a prophecy, and then she gives the advice there in verse 4, she makes it very plain. It is not for kings to drink wine. Now, if this substance, according to this mother, which is given to her son in a prophecy, if this is not the conduct that is fitting for a king, then we need to know why and we need to know what the expectations of a king are. So we refer now to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we look at verse number 14. God is telling Moses, who is informing the children of Israel, when you come into the land which the Lord thy God gives you and you possess it, I will set a king up over me, is what you will say, so you can be like all the other nations. He said, You shall in any wise set a king over you whom the Lord shall choose, one from among your brethren. Now, it's because of that statement, one from among your brethren, that in our constitution in this nation, you have to be a citizen in order to be president in this country. He says, You cannot set a foreigner over you, which is not your brother, because that kind of a leader is not going to be able to identify with the culture, with how folks were raised and certainly won't have any kind of loyalty or allegiance to those people. But verse 16, he says, that king will not multiply horses to himself nor drive the people back into Egypt. He is not to be so oppressive that the people have a desire to run headlong back into the arms and the cold embrace of their former taskmasters. Then he says in verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. So he certainly shouldn't be a polygamist, and he definitely, the leader, shouldn't be someone going from one wife to another, just changing them about as fast as we change a pair of pants each week. He says that his heart would be turned away if he was involved with that lifestyle, and he is not to multiply to himself Silver and gold. Then it says, when he becomes king, verse 18 and 19, he's to sit upon the throne and write a copy of the law which is given to him from the priests, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes. So you can see from God's perspective, a king is supposed to have a reverence for God, supposed to be in love with the word of God. If he takes the time out to copy his own scriptures, that is also going to write the law of God upon his heart. This preserves him from having a heart that is lifted up above his brethren and will keep him from turning aside from the commandment of God to the right hand or to the left. And God says in verse 20, he'll prolong his days in his kingdom. So Moses has given the children of Israel the kind of information they need for their leader. So this is important. He has to be careful about wealth, wives, pride, and harshness. His primary duties are to revolve around the law of God. Not only the learning of it, but the application of it as he sits on the throne. So we take a verse like that and we add to this discussion the verse in Revelation chapter 1 that talks about us. Jesus has come and died on the cross. He's ascended to heaven. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is now appearing to the Apostle John while he was on the island of Patmos. This is decades after the ascension. And listen to what John writes in Revelation 1, verse 5. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Notice, now that we are Christian, we also in the kingdom of God, according to the plan of God, in the redemptive purposes of God, have been transformed into kings and also into priests. As a Christian then, we understand that as a king, strong drink is not for us. Wine is not for us. You can search all through the Old Testament You're never going to find people excited about liquor at all, except when they're involved with revelry and involved with sin. So if we're kings and priests, this leads us then to the discussion of how we view ourselves. If all you see yourself is a Christian who goes to a church once a week, and that's all the religion you have, folks, I can tell you your life is not going to be victorious at all. You'll be like so many other people. You do an hour on Sunday, then you go home and you drink yourself into a stupor, and then you learn to be a functioning alcoholic while calling yourself a Christian. But the Bible makes it very plain. Those that are drunkards have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And that's what the apostle Paul himself did say. Do you realize that during prohibition, people made liquor against the law? There were Steals that people made up in the mountains and very often people being involved with that they were drinking behind closed doors out in the woods they were selling it to different people the gangsters and mobsters made all kinds of money off of that but let's not forget that the scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 16 and 17 that with respect to judges and politicians and our leaders we should not have children that reign over us, and we should not have leaders who draw their strength from alcohol. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes. Alcoholism is bad, whether or not you know it. All you have to do is ask the spouse or child of an alcoholic. I can promise you, you won't get a whole lot of positive reinforcement with with what they have to say. People today try to label it a disease, and they'll say that, well, you know, he has a predisposition towards that. And he was born that way. And, and so he's not accountable or responsible for his or her actions. They, they can't help themselves. They're diseased in that way. But you know as well as I do that uh, alcoholism, if that's the case, it's the only disease that you can buy in a bottle. And it's the only disease that the state turns around and helps to support through state liquor stores and then also then encourages you to think of it as just a disease. This is not something that we should spend our time trying to defend. The whole idea that it's not the drinker's fault is crazy. Liquor stores that are funded and approved by government officials are not the kind of places where believers who love the Lord Jesus shall hang out Revelation 1 verse 6 says you are a king so conduct yourself accordingly knowing that your heavenly father has given unto you royal authority but then also the scripture speaks of us being priests now it's interesting in Leviticus chapter 10 we have a nice discussion on this and in Leviticus 10 we have the the story of the death of Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire. Now listen to verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded not. And there went fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died in the presence of God. These individuals were judged because of their actions. But you have to ask the question, why did they offer strange fire? Why did they enter into the tabernacle and engage themselves in an in- idolatrous act? What would have given them the boldness? How did they derive the courage? In what way did they obtain This kind of an attitude to approach God in such an irreverent manner. Well, Moses went on to tell Aaron that he better not even weep for them sorry rascals of his that were his children. Don't you shed a tear for these folks. Don't even uncover your heads. In verse 6, he said, don't rend your clothes, lest the wrath of God come upon you. He said, don't you run around here sympathizing at all because these folks have come into my presence and disrespected me. But we know the reason of it all because in verse number eight, the Lord spoke to Aaron and said, do not drink wine nor strong drink you or your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation lest you die, this will be a statue forever. That you may put a difference between the holy and unholy, between the clean and unclean. God told Aaron regarding the priesthood, stay away from liquor, stay away from strong drink, you stay away from that which inebriates, because whatever can cause you to enter into a drunken state can then control your thoughts, and whatever will govern your thoughts are going to manipulate your behavior. God is making it very plain. These fools would have never been in the tabernacle doing what they did. Had they not been drunk, this is why people get tanked up with alcohol. You see a little man be four foot ten inches, and then he'll run his mouth ready to take on somebody that's six foot six and weighs two hundred and sixty pounds. Totally different character comes upon them or manifests through them once that alcohol gets on the inside of them. From a scriptural standpoint, we avoid that. Because we know that the effects of liquor on people are mostly negative. You come back to Proverbs 31. Notice what it says in verse 5. You've already learned that it's not for kings to drink strong drink. This is a prophecy. So verse number 5. Lest they drink. And notice what happens. They forget the law. forget all about God's word. Turn from the truth of the scripture and they just lay down their religion and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted a person who gives their time to drinking, spend most of their time in a saloon spend their time in a back room surrounded by empty beer cans and bottles or is throwing back vodka and cognac and tall boys and every other kind of thing you can think of, these people will generally have a perverted sense of judgment they will make one excuse after another to justify their behavior and they will approve what is evil and they will condemn what is holy and what is clean. Proverbs continue. Listen to this. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. Oh, yes. You remember the old Western films when uh, somebody have a six shooter and gets shot 17 times and they're laying there coughing up blood and they're calling for something to, to to help dull the pain, and then they start pouring liquor right right out the bottle, right down their throat, so they hardly wouldn't feel anything, and then they just pass on and just die. Well, in this in this instance, you've got to understand in ancient times people didn't always have what morphine like they have now, all of these so-called comfort medicines that people use when they're trying to leave, leave this world, or when people are trying to help them leave this world. But notice the connection. Drink and death. Strong drink and death. Leviticus 10. Strong drink and death. The death of Nadab and Abihu. Verse 6. Strong drink and him that is ready to perish. And then also notice it says, in wine to those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So what are the effects Of liquor and alcohol, according to the mother of King Lemuel, the effects of it is it causes you to lose your ability to recall. This is why folks have blackouts Then they can't remember how the tree got, how the car got wrapped around the telephone pole. Have no idea how they ran over three people. Have no sense of it at all. Can't remember the fight they were in before. Don't even remember cussing out their wife or beating their husband. And can't remember what they did to the kids physically abusing them because they blacked out and fell out in the backyard somewhere on the grass. Scripture is plain here. If strong drink to the one that's ready to die, wine to those that have a heavy heart. The belief was that if somebody's excessively sorrowful and depressed, you get them drunk, and happiness will come. You know as well as I do, there are a whole lot of happy drunks, and there are a whole lot of people that are, are jovial and, and quite excitable when they have had just a little bit of champagne in them. Watch them at a wedding. watch them at an anniversary. Put a little liquor in them and I'll tell you, you can't get them off that dance floor. They got twinkle toes and they'll dance from one end to the other simply because they're all excited. And the scripture says that they will remember their misery for no no more. For just a few moments, all of that will pass away. The terrors of their life, the challenges of their life, the poverty, the lack, the want, the things that they need. They forget about them for a season They began to stare at that bottle and begin to live their life through the bottom of an empty bottle. You can't tell me that there aren't people every day who, when they get off work, rather than going directly home, they drive around that block ten times because they don't feel like going home to a wife they don't love or a husband that they can't stand or a family that they don't like. So they stop by the nearest bar and spend a little bit of time in there And that's where all their fellowship takes place. All of their friends get together and they talk about the agonies of life. They talk about the problems of society. They solve all kinds of social ills and deal with the civic problems that are taking place in their community as they're sitting there drinking one beer after another. By the time they are filled, they're now ready to go home because they now have become numb to the very lifestyle that they have. So when they get home and everybody starts yelling and screaming at them and cussing at them because they spent up the children's lunch money at the bar or because they failed to make a purchase that they were supposed to, they're totally numb to everything that's taking place. They just walk into the room and go where they're going and they sit down. So the effects of liquor on people are mostly negative. The scripture says you're a king and a priest. If you're born again in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed you of your iniquity, there is no reason on planet earth you'd involve yourself with drinking alcohol socially. Now, you may have a preacher that says there's nothing wrong with it, but just let stupid people talk stupid. You just come right back to the scripture, and you stay with the fact that you have been made a king and a priest. The Bible makes it very plain in that prophecy from that mom to her son, it's not for you to drink. Well, then you ask the question: Okay, Pastor, are there are there any times in the Scripture where it's authorized? Well, if someone had wine at communion, that's not a sin. Fruit of the vine, drinking the fruit of the vine isn't a, a sin. The, the problem is the mixture, the the ratio of water to the wine today is totally out of balance to how the Jews prepared it in ancient times. so I don't use wine in communion because through the years, I've seen a lot of people get delivered from alcoholism. I've seen people come off of that. They get to working with the Lord. And the last thing we want is have people showing up on communion Sunday just to be able to, to drink a little bit of that stuff. So for communion... You know, that, that's not a sin. I have had wine overseas in Europe and in the Middle East when they have served communion. I don't prefer it. I don't particularly like it. And I can tell you if it's, if it's one of those big chalices that they're passing around that's filled with wine, you better believe these lips have never got involved with swallowing and gulping a whole lot of that as it's gone by. But then also, first Timothy, Uh, Chapter five, verse 23, Paul says to Timothy there, he says, drink a little wine for your often infirmities. Now, that's an interesting statement because notice he says little wine. He didn't say a whole lot. And this is a medicinal thing. He says, you often have infirmities. He didn't speak about what they were. Paul didn't consider himself a physician. He certainly wasn't trying to act as though he was a doctor, but obviously it was common knowledge, and it was a source of common uh, property amongst the ancient peoples that there was something in wine that could help with certain problems. Even doctors today will tell some patients that. So if you got this going on maybe a heart problem or something or whatever it, you 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 should do this occasionally but I can tell you this whenever a doctor and a patient conspires to make the the habit of drinking liquor a, a daily occurrence and it becomes more of a recreational thing than a medicinal help you're in trouble you're in trouble it's just best to leave that alone just just leave it alone There's no doctor on this planet worth going to hell for. And I can tell you the scripture all over again that Paul said that the drunkard, just like the fornicator, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's the text and it doesn't change. You say, well, brother Daryl, don't you realize Jesus turned the water into wine? I'm quite certain that he did. I've read the story plenty of times and I certainly have preached it before. I know that that is exactly What he did, it was a marriage celebration. The old wine had ran out and then he told them to bring pots filled with water and miraculously the substance changed, not only in its color, but also in its flavor. But understand this, if you can bring me some wine that Jesus transformed, I'll drink it with you right now. You bring it to me, I'll sit here and drink it with you. We'll stand in the driveway if you want to or out in the parking lot, and we'll pass it around right here in the sanctuary. If you can bring me something that the king transformed, and it's miraculous, then I'll get involved with it. Other than that, I'm just going to have to wait until the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 26 and 29 when he said, I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's Matthew twenty six twenty nine. If Jesus said he wasn't drinking it again until he drinks it with us in heaven, then I'm not going to be involved with any kind of strong drink until one day I sit down with him in the glorious kingdom of God. So I think I've laid out a pretty easy and plain case for why you as a king priest, ought to avoid the evils of strong drink. Regardless of what anybody says to you, you just hold to what that word says. I had a man tell me one time, that Bible says if you're not feeling well, drink a little, drink a little wine for your often infirmities. I said, that's what it says. Man said to me, I'm sick all the time. You can be as sick as you want, drink as much as you want, but I'm telling you, you're going to miss heaven. You're going to miss heaven. Don't let anybody deceive you. Walk with God, trust him, and let's let the Lord lead us all into the kingdom. God bless you. Be encouraged. Father, in the name of Jesus, be with my brother or sister. They'll have a strong, robust faith. Not be discouraged during this time in which we live. We honor you. We worship you now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen.